Hey, welcome to A Weekly Word. Thanks for being with me today. Uh, I'm Pastor Eric Tritton from Gloria Day Lutheran Church in Hudson, Ohio. And uh, we are looking at The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is the 11th in a 12-part segment. So if you're just finding this, I mean, feel free to just listen to this one. Um, but you're, you're, you're welcome to go back and check out the others that came before. And it might help for this one to make sense because this one definitely builds on the one previously. Anyhow, uh, last week I talked about uh, Aslan's suffering and his death and uh, his sacrifice at the stone table to redeem Edmund. And I talked about the girls, Susan and Lucy, being there and witnessing this and, and the, the whole experience of their sorrow. Well, now that sorrow is going to lead into to gladness and celebration. And, and that's an important part of the Christian faith too. It's not just that we, we go about in sorrows and, and pain all of our lives. There is real joy that has invaded into our world because Jesus died and rose for us. So the, the girls were there at the stone table. They, they saw uh, Aslan shaved his crown taken away. Uh, and uh, they, they saw him bound to the table. They saw him killed. And uh, it can be really uncomfortable reading about Susan and Lucy's heartbreak as they deal with Aslan's body. But I, I also think that this is one of those important times uh, to help us, first of all, think about how do we handle sorrow. It's important for children to be able to think about that in a safe place, like in a story, um, because it, is, will, it will be part of our lives. It is part of our lives. And I think it's important in the story, too, to see the contrast between the, the girl's sorrow and their joy when they discover that he is risen from, from the dead. And there is a, a little bit of a beautiful scene that takes place because, remember, Aslan has been tied down to the table and the girls decide they want to untie him and they, they take off the muzzle from him and all of these, but they, they can't undo the knots. Their fingers are too cold and the knots are too tight. And suddenly these little mice show up and they start chewing on the ropes. And at first, Susan wants to shoo them away because, well, we hate mice, and right? Uh, and, and so Lucy then notices that they're actually gnawing the ropes. And it's the mice that get the ropes off of Aslan. And that's actually important in a, a later part of the Chronicles of, of Narnia. So once the girls have done this work and they're grieving there uh, by Aslan's body, by the stone table... Uh, the dawn is coming up. This is, remember, parallel to, uh, to Jesus' resurrection. They turn away because they feel like there's nothing else that they can do. And when their backs are turned, there's this huge cracking sound. And they turn around and they discover that the table is broken in two and Aslan is gone. And imagine their confusion. Imagine the women's confusion as they uh, went to the tomb and found it empty when uh, they went to take care of Jesus' body. And uh, Susan asks a, a question. She says, what does it mean? Is it more magic? And it's here that Aslan reappears and, and he answers her question and says, yes, it is more magic. And he explains, though the witch knew the deep magic, and remember, I, I, I talked about the deep magic being like 
the law, those parts of uh, scripture that talk to us about what is right and what is wrong and, and, and punishment for sin and all of these kinds of things. Aslan says, though the witch knew the deeper magic, this is the stuff that we know, the deep magic, this is the stuff that we know very naturally. He says, there is a magic deeper still. And I argue that that corresponds with the gospel. That that's about the forgiveness and the love and the salvation that, that Jesus brings to us that can only be revealed to us. We can't naturally know that. So he says, though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked back further into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And in a sense, this is what Jesus does for us. His death is uh, the firstborn from the dead. His, so he dies, he goes to the tomb, he's buried, he rises from the dead, and he is the firstborn from the dead. And we are to follow. So in a sense, death works backwards. And this is, this is the idea of a, of a you catastrophe. Now, C.S. Lewis had a really good friend by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien if you're familiar with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. He's the guy who wrote those. These guys hung out together. Um, and uh, um, Tolkien coined this word, you uh, catastrophe, that prefix E-U means good. And so a good catastrophe, kind of a, kind of a strange image, maybe, maybe a little bit of a feeling of an oxymoron there. Um, but it's, it's a good idea in terms of what we're talking about when we talk about Aslan's resurrection or more specifically how Tolkien uses it when he, we're talking about Jesus' resurrection. Now, I want to read this quote to you from um, J.R.R. Tolkien. And one of the things that I want to make clear is he's going to talk about fairy story um, or, or fairy, yeah, fairy story and uh Sometimes we're tempted to think fairy story means something that is just completely made up. That's not how Tolkien looked at this. Um, fairy stories were intended to teach truth. And when he talks about the greatest fairy story being about Jesus, he capitalizes that. And so he's trying to make it clear that he's not talking about some kind of a fake made up story, but he's talking about this great overarching story that reveals an incredible truth that has a you catastrophe in it. So let, let, me, let me read this for you. Tolkien says, I coined the word you catastrophe, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears, which I argue it is the highest function of fairy stories to produce. And I was there led to the view that it produces its peculiar effect because it is a sudden glimpse of capital T truth. Your whole nature chained in material cause and effect. The chain of death feels a sudden relief as if a major limb out of joint had suddenly snapped back. It perceives if the story has literary truth on the second plane, that this is indeed how things really do work in the capital G great world for which our nature is made. And I concluded 
by saying that the resurrection, he's talking about Jesus' resurrection now, that the resurrection was the greatest catastrophe possible in the greatest fairy story, capital F, capital S, and produces that essential emotion, Christian joy that produces tears because it is qualitatively so like sorrow, because it comes from those places where joy and sorrow are at one, reconciled as selfishness and altruism are lost in love. It, it, it's this, this whole human experience bound together. Uh, in another place, Lewis talks about eucatastrophe being the, the revelation that everything bad in the world comes untrue. You know, the badness of Jesus' death and his suffering, in a sense, comes untrue. Not, not in the sense that it didn't happen, but it's overcome in the resurrection. And the sorrow of the, of the sacrifice blends with the joy of the resurrection with this incredible mix that, as Lewis talks about it, produces tears. And sometimes those tears, you know, are you, are you crying from sorrow? Are you crying from joy? And the answer is just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all mixed together. Um, after the resurrection, uh, after Aslan's resurrection, uh, he takes the girls to the witch's castle. Uh, he rescues the people who had been turned into statues by the witch. Remember, she can use her magic wand to turn people into stone. And, uh, and I love this image where he's turning stone into flesh. And that matches so nicely with some things that are talked about in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, uh, God says that he's going to replace uh, his people's stone hearts uh, with hearts of flesh. In Ezekiel 37, verse 9, he says, uh, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And this is the work that Jesus does too, that after he rises from the dead, he brings resurrection to those who trust in him. So Aslan uh, storms the witch's castle and, and brings her victims back to life by breathing on them. And this is, this is what Jesus does to us. He breathes into us. Um, you know, there's a neat parallel here in Mark chapter 3, verses 27 through 29, where Jesus talks about um, spoil, spoiling the, uh, the strong man's house, you know, taking the strong man's goods. And uh, he says, you first have to bind him. And, and he has come, Jesus came, to steal what Satan had tried to steal himself. And, and note that in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 9, um, God says to Ezekiel, when he says uh, to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, um, here's, here's Aslan going around breathing and bringing life to these people who have been killed, in a sense, and, and, and turned to stone. And also, then in John chapter 20, verse 22, when Jesus comes back from death and he meets the disciples and they're hiding in the upper room, the first thing he does to them is he first says, peace be with you, and then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that creates faith and gives new life. Now, after 
Aslan has raised all these people from the dead, um, they go and they, they, they join the battle. Um, and one of the things I find fascinating about the way that Lewis writes the books compared to how we see these things in the movies, um, the battle is it, it's finished and the victory is won and, and there's not a lot about it in the book. Not like the Disney movie where there's all the strategy and we got to figure out how all of this is going to happen. You know, there's very few details about the battle. You know, and in fact, the quote in the book is, the battle was all over a few minutes after they arrived. Um, what is left, though, is the healing of those who have been harmed by the witch's minions. And as I think about that, that Lucy now becomes that central figure to bring healing to those who are wounded, that that is an excellent vision for our work as believers in Jesus. That we have received spiritual healing, sure, but we also care about the, those who are hurt, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or physically. And part of our, our purpose in life is to share uh, that healing that Jesus has won for us. And, you know, we live in a world where people are harmed by the devil and the world and and even their own sinful nature. And I think that there's a real temptation for us when we see that to harden our hearts, to say, well, natural consequences. But I think Jesus has called us to, to bring healing, the healing of the gospel that tells us that there is life after death that delivers forgiveness and delivers a new life. And delivers healing too. So thanks for being with me. This one got a little bit long. Sorry about that. Um, if you liked this, if this was helpful for you, please share it, like it, you know, all of those good things. And uh, um, I'll be back next week with one more episode on the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to share a little bit more about where we're heading next. Um, God's blessings. Mm -hmm.